0: It really does depend on the perspective value that the individual is offering up their audience and how that value is then converted into a potential community. But there have been a number of instances where we've had to realign around the end goal that that individual is after, right? And really understand what that goal is fundamentally. It's all about focus and the attention we put. Is it a question of community? Is it a question of audience, right? What is their goal? Because it changes the overall steps that we take in the context of building an individual's presence online. Like you can have 10,000 followers and 8,000 community members and be killing it. You can have 100,000 audience members and not even a thousand community members and be killing it, right? It really does depend on what the goals of that individual is. This week's guest is Nima Mirpurian, the multi-talented founder
1: of Will Be Live, a personal branding and talent management company that's helping clients that range from CEOs to creators to increase their social presence and build new businesses. Born in Tehran, Iran, Nima's journey has traversed studying science at university, exploring cell biology before building a successful career in corporate consulting until a virus called COVID set him on a serendipitous path to launching his Will Be Live startup. Now, I met Nima when I first arrived in Austin in 2021 and was struck by his personal story, his deep humanity and connection to mountaineering and nature, but also his generosity of spirit and willingness to share his knowledge of social strategies Having offered me valuable guidance on my own podcasting branding, I couldn't miss the opportunity to sit down and talk with Nima face-to-face just before the start of South by Southwest. And for anyone interested in building their own LinkedIn profile or elevating their personal brand, then Nima certainly is the perfect connection. As I've said about this podcast, we interviewed domain experts, uh, difference makers and storytellers. And Nima is certainly a storyteller. I hope his knowledge, his insights and ideas will be of interest to anyone aiming to improve their storytelling on social. Now, over to Nima. Nima, welcome yes. to the Impossible Network podcast. Thank you for having me, Mark. It's an absolute pleasure to be here, sitting in Austin at
0: the very beginning of South by Southwest. Yeah, you got it. I'm excited for the event and, you know, this podcast, of course. Excellent.
1: Okay, so... We have established what you do, and we're going to come on and talk about the work you're doing now and what you're working to achieve. But I'd like you to start to give context to our listeners about who you are as a human being.
0: You know, I think about this question a lot, um, just based on the journey I've been. First generation immigrant, um, you know, uh, Persian, came to Toronto when I was two years old, grew up in the city, and... I've had the opportunity to travel around the world and do what I love doing. But at a deeper level, uh, I think I'm, I'm a caring business professional that likes to create connection amongst the people I enjoy interacting with, whether it be my team members, um, you know, my confidants and and clients or even just potential, you know, new audience members that come into my world. And so connection is a big part of what I do. But it's also a part of the mark I want to leave in this world, you know, leaving it better than it was when I came into it. And then I think at like a more of a playful angle, I'm a rock climber. Like that helps ground me. I'm 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 a brother. I'm an uncle. New new uncle. Nine months in. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, that encompasses the majority of the various angles that make me a human being what
1: made you you what were the influences whether it be your parents siblings early life experiences that were seminal in making you the human being you are today
0: yeah what made me me you know where do i start it's like when i think about the the story of an immigrant right and the challenges that uh Born here or born in? No, born Iran. in Iran. When I was two years old, I came to Toronto from and Turan? from Tehran, actually. Um, and it was during the Iran Iraq war where my parents said, this is not a place that they want to live or, or raise a family. And so they left and took us with them. We had a small two week stint in Sweden, which my dad, uh, actually has, uh, you know, some roots in based on his undergrad. And we came to Canada, I came to Toronto to be exact, and uh, started to grow and build our lives. You know, a big part of that that journey and the struggle I saw my parents go through is one that I think still resonates with me today because it was filled with sacrifice, but I had a great childhood all the while. So, you know, I'm all about, you know, the underdog and, and the potential right, that could be created in in an atmosphere where, you know, opportunity is based on the potential of connecting with someone and creating some sort of an emotional connection as opposed to the challenges that, you know, I might have had if I lived in Iran, let's say. So, I, I think about that a lot as to, like, how that shaped my worldview. And then, you know, from there, I I took a hard left based on, you know, the definition that I thought, the mold that I thought I should fit because, you know, there was an expectation, right? With that sacrifice came an expectation of doing right by your parents. Just you or siblings? Sibling as well. Brother, older, three years. He's actually an endodontist. My mom's a dentist. (laughs) My dad's an engineer. So this like, you know, this the saying, lawyer, doctor, engineer, right? Mm, yeah, in, in the middle. A middle, for immigrants, Yeah, yeah for, for immigrants. I mean, it, it definitely rings true. In fact, I would say the only businessmen in my, my family were, were a handful, right? Including you're an grandfather. engineer, actually.
1: You're engineering connections.
0: I'm engineering connections. Yes, I am. I would say, you know, I'm a connector in many ways, right? And a big part of that is building on an experience for people to to really like create more life more opportunity for individuals to meet one another and build on their understanding about what we're doing here on, on 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 earth and it it sounds very kind of woo-woo but in many ways i think you know the quality of the relationships i have in my life today make up the quality of my life like fundamentally, but you know, to come back to your question around what made me, you know, the expectation of my parents coming in out of university or out of out of high school for that matter was, you know, becoming a doctor. Right. So I went into the sciences and studied both science, technology, society, but went deep into cell biology. Did my thesis in a lab. I got hired. Got hired on. From my uh, professor into the summertime, doing lab work, I just absolutely hated my life. I mean, the the most, I always say this, most interaction I had with an individual was working on cells for 12 hours a day and it was just incredibly grueling. So, I got out of that knowing full well that research at a lab wasn't something I would want to do. And I went into corporate research and that was definitely not what I wanted to do because you know... There was a lot of politics in that type of world. Anyway, a a good friend of mine turned me on to the the business world and gave me an opportunity within the company that they were working for. Uh, It just so happened to be a recruitment company, helping people find technology jobs in a contract capacity and spent close to six years doing that until my boss one day came to me and said, listen, we have an opportunity for you to launch our management, managed service, our, our heritage big four consulting firm in Canada. Are you up for the opportunity? All the while I was really dealing with this, maybe I should start something on my own, right? I'm not fully fulfilled. And one thing that kept on happening in that instance is every time I got this itch, I would get promoted <laughs> up until the point where the pandemic hit. And I was one of... 13 people within this new division that was created. So for close to two and a half to three years, I was working in this role and then the pandemic hit. Now out of that group of 13, I was the only one that was outside of the US. So the decision was made to insulate the, the organization, that specific division. You know, they, they packaged me out. It was this huge moment of like, wait a minute, I'm Nima from this company, right? I, I identified as that individual. And Overnight, you know, I lost that sense of myself, and I had to rebuild this new understanding of who I was in that context, which was incredibly painful. And as many have have gone through during and the are going through now, and are going through now, absolutely. So, what helped in that instance was my community, the people that I chose to really build on relationships. That made me, and also tapping into nature going climbing, gave me a new footing and, and really solidified my anchor. Mm-hmm.
1: A question I've got for you, your parents, their expectations on you, but what values do you think they instilled in you? What characteristics do you think you have that were from them or the way they brought you up?
0: You know, my, my parents are individuals that are not business-minded, right? They're, they're professionals. And... Having said all that, I think the fundamentals of business were instilled in me very early on in the context of it's not how much money you make, it's how you make it. Even my mom as a dentist, a lot of the times she'd just do pro bono work. She had an office underneath our house. She was literally working at half the time and working for the city. But there were a number of instances where she wouldn't even charge her patients, right? Because they she knew they were just down and out and needed a, you know, they needed this the the service that she was providing in the context of dental work. So that gave me a really good understanding around if you have the opportunity to do right by someone, do it without expectation. Hmm, and so that was a big like lesson learned and continues to be. They continue to show up in that context for a lot of people because
1: mm. it's not being in service of others is a common characteristic in people i've noticed from come from immigrant
0: backgrounds yeah totally i think it's definitely a part of the persian culture even in like i think about the the way in which we host like for one my family we show our love through food right and so i can remember as a child you know we would have these like big feasts where there would be four or five people that would be invited, but my mom and dad would make food for like 10, right? Like double the amount of what would be considered reasonable. And the point of that was so that they felt, the individual host, my mom and dad, felt that they have done everything to make sure that the individual that's coming over to their house feels their love. Mm-hmm right? And leaves that house being like, oh my God, that was awesome. You know, and I do that on a regular basis with my friends. And, you know, I took a kind of like uh, version of that into the business world was, which was like fundamental to really the support structure that was there for me when I left my corporate gig. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. So that transition period where you said you found you were grounded by and supported by your community during that transitionary period how did you identify the new path that you were going to take which was a series of dinner parties to build on the concept of food and engaging people around and entertaining people around food but i thought that was just such an original and imaginative and compassionate and and that would be a value to everyone that attended and it seemed to be sacrifice on your part but obviously there was value in it for you could you maybe just describe that? because there also looks like a
0: ton of work totally it, it it is but i also think about like the the social group that i had around me at the time and their feedback to what i was doing and it felt strange right they're like well, "What? why are you doing this so you know just to go back a couple steps hmm. when my boss came to me i was a branch manager at this recruitment company in downtown Toronto. We were kicking ass and taking names. All was great, right? We had a great team teams actually doing recruitment and partnering up with various lines of businesses. And my boss came to me with this opportunity and I I really had to think about it, but it was a it was a hell yes kind of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right. Where for me in the trajectory of my growth it would have been a hockey stick up. But something that didn't sit well in the process where I'd built these relationships with my people, right? My team been through, you know, hard times and, and, and really amazing times. And all of that would change overnight again. And I, I thought about it on the flip side where if my boss were to have come with me with news around my role no longer being relevant, how much of a, change that would have on the relationships that I built internal to the company a lot of the people take for granted this thing I call relationship capital right and when you leave an organization that doesn't come with you you know sure your friends and if you see people on the side of the street that you've worked with you know you have that thing to talk about yeah but in many ways those relationships end when you leave that company and that I didn't like how that sat with me. It's like, well, I mean, if my life and the relationships I build is directly proportional to the quality of my life, I don't want someone to end that for me, all that I've worked for and, you know, the connections that I've built. I want it to have a foundation greater than just the company I work for. I want it to be with friends and business partners and confidants and, you know, new individuals that are coming into the mix, right? So, I wanted to really play a proactive role in building those relationships with individuals. That was fundamental to what I was trying to do. So, all the while, once I got promoted, I said, you know what? I'm going to launch this series of dinners as a thank you to my people, for one, but also as an opportunity to invite new individuals into my group and benefit from the work that I've done in cultivating these relationships. It was strictly to say thank you. No other agenda. And there was a lot of people when I launched the first dinner that were like, this is weird. Why are you doing this? In fact, one of my best friends was like, listen, it's going to cost around at least a grand. Let's take that money and let's go to Colombia and just party. And I'm like, you don't understand... Come out to the dinner. Let me show you and we'll go from there. And how many people at the di- first dinner? Yeah, it was 12, 12 people. And it was at this like Spanish tapas place that used to be a, a police stable for their horses. It's a really cool place. But one of the things I realized is like, I think, I think about the, the journey of like I, my guests, uh, even before they were to, participate in this type of dinner? Because we've all been to dinners, right? Especially business dinners. And it's really dry. But I think about that guest telling their spouse that they're going to this dinner. And, you know, not everyone's excited to go to a business dinner, right? It's just a something else to do. It's like mandatory almost, particularly if you've interacted with this professional and have a working relationship with them. So, in this context, when I thought about that, I, I thought, you know, this is not going to be a dinner... Where people are say, would say, yeah, I went to this dinner and it was great. And I met a couple of people, but I'm really tired. I wanted this. I wanted them to really feel that I actually am thanking them and nothing else and thanking them in many ways. One is, you know, welcome to my group, the group that I've hand selected that you're a part of now. And hopefully you can derive some value from, but also. I wanted them to actually understand why I'm thinking that. So I went out, and this is based based on a combination of, you know, the multiple books that I've read around like, you know, creating delight and you know how some of the leaders in hospitality create these moments of unreasonable hospitality for people where they are literally separating themselves from their competition based on the experience that they have to offer.
1: Unreasonable hospitality can sound on a negative, but it's a positive in
0: your description. Yeah. Why it's a positive is because it's, un- it's so unexpected. Yeah. It's like, what, you're also going to do this for me? It's like you're going above and beyond any expectation out there to create a moment for individuals. Mm-hmm. And so... What I ended up doing was really writing down, just as a start, who was coming out and two adjectives that represented what they meant to me, who they were in my eyes. And from there, I took those two adjectives and I built on a narrative around how they've impacted my life. What came from that was essentially place cards, place mats that I would put in the seating plan that I developed for the group coming out to the dinner, wherein when they would arrive to the dinner, first of all, it'd be, you know, a champagne portion. The beginning would be a half hour, everyone get champagne glasses at the bar. But once a critical mass of individuals would actually get we would get to that point of the, you know, halfway or 30 minute mark, I'd all I'd invite all of them to the dining room table and they would then see this like you know, multiple placemats on each on each seat, and they would sit in their respective seats and start reading this card. Now the card had their name at the top of it and a number in the middle. And what and on the bottom of the number, what the significance of that number was to my relationship with them. So naturally they'd read that and they'd get this warm and fuzzy feeling, which is great. But they would then ask to the right, left, in front of them what number those individuals got. And it was an instant icebreaker, right? And ultimately, the thank you that I wanted them to feel was, wow, I'm so glad I came to this event because I met so-and-so and now we have something in common. And there's some sort of potential there.
1: It must have been quite moving for people to turn up there and find this.
0: Yeah, I would say. I mean, some people like took it. Some people took it and framed it at their their office desk. But what was really cool o- about that whole experience, and I've done multiple dinners since, was these individuals then would send me text messages six months later, nine months later, with a selfie of them actually meeting up for drinks with an individual that they met at the dinner. And I was like, oh my God, they're like thinking of you, Nima. And I'm like, yes, like, you know what? I'm happy. I'm happy that they're out there, you know, building on something who knows what, because they're two really interesting people. And that potential is there. Mm-hmm. You know, I always think about this and like, it's when I think about it now, it's crazy what can be created when Two individuals with the right intentions come together. And, and that in many ways is like what we're all yearning for in a way, connection, you know? And unfortunately, it takes a lot of time. And some people don't have necessarily the right tools to find those individuals and put themselves out there. Yeah. The right
1: tools, the right attitude. So, so many people are introverts and we've all been to those networking events where people are buried in their phone holding a beer or a glass of wine avoiding eye contact
0: and listen i've been there i definitely have those moments I, I would consider myself this like social introvert where i don't want to spend time with just anyone i actually like tight knits of people coming together and speaking on things that are, that, that that aren't surface level Peps, i the dinner Hence the dinner, yeah. There's one thing that I've really, like, realized in the context of networking events is, like, this term I've come across called easy laughers. not sure if you've ever heard of it. No, I haven't. Yeah, so, like, you know, there's there's usually... uh... I'm not easy laughing, by the way. No, no, all good. No, I I think about this often when I go to networking events is because, like, there's usually a key person of influence at this event, right, that has some aura of, you know... Clout, let's just say, right? And there's usually a group that surrounds that individual. And sometimes that individual says something that is meant to be quirky or funny, but in actuality, it's not, right? And so, a great test to see who's there just to be around that individual and who's there with substance that has an actual opinion is to see whether or not the people around that individual laugh. Yeah. Right, it's just a great competency trigger that I think about a lot. It's like that wasn't funny, but this person laughed. Noted. So, how did that
1: experience of doing creating these dinners and and the relationships that were built through it, how did that affect the journey that you've taken and the trajectory you're on now?
0: I mean, the individuals that came out to those dinners have helped me in both a personal and business capacity during the pandemic. You know, as a as an individual that had lost his bearings around his identity, these people had gone through a ton of pain and had built up a toolbox that they would pull from. And those individuals were able to turn me onto their tools that they've used, and sometimes those tools worked for me, and other times they didn't, but I was yearning for information, and they've been fundamental to me launching this new business, the, the people I would hope to connect with, the perspectives that they offer. It's not a big group, but they're quality, they're quality individuals that you know, speak to me as an as a as a person. I'm authentically connected to them, not for the sake of getting something, but we enjoy the same things and are able to build on something together.
1: Uh, I'm assuming you'd never anticipated that it would play such a role when you were doing it at the time.
0: Not at all. The intention was just to say thank you. It wasn't, I'm going to do this because I'm tracking to another million dollar deal and I need this person to see that I'm offering them something. It wasn't that at all. It was literally come out and say thank you. And I've done the whole sponsored event, right? That's how we connected. When I think about it, it's like running an event for a community-based organization is great and not that event has an agenda behind it. How many people came out? How much money was spent? What's the ROI of this event? None of that was part of this conversation. It's like, how much does it cost you to say thank you? It doesn't cost much. But when someone genuinely receives that message, it could go far. It could go far in so many different ways. Yeah,
1: it does have a sort of pay it forward element without the intention of paying it forward.
0: You know, I don't know if it's a pay it forward type of initiative. Because it's like, that almost feels like there's a charity aspect to this.
1: Yeah, it's unique. That's why I found it when I you first told me about it, and I read that you post about it. I just thought this is such a, an unusual thing to do because it costs you money. So it's, it's, I think it's lovely because it is. It does it represent essentially a serendipitous moment that if you hadn't done that, you wouldn't be able to. You wouldn't be sitting where you're sitting right now. So, so maybe you could um, talk then around. What it is that you're working and why? Because you mentioned already that connecting people and I would say engineering connections, I think is your superpower. So maybe first of all, just talk about what it is that you've been building since the pandemic, where you are, where you're wanting to take it.
0: Sure. Yeah. I think like this story requires some context in the context of like the work that I've done at uh, my previous company. Uh, you know, as much as I was going against the norm and considered a black sheep within my household, right? Going into business and doing this thing for, you know, the sake of um, technology or digital initiatives, which by the way, none of my family members understand, right? I was still confined to this box, right? Where the company was asking me to show up in a specific way. And this was very indirect. It wasn't necessarily like, here's your talking points," But in many ways, I didn't feel like I was expressing my authentic self, right? And how I realized that the most was during this conference that I was actually slated to speak in, where I got up. Now, at the time, I didn't realize because I was spending a whole night rehearsing and Trying to get this right, right? Um, recruitment conference, not a recruitment conference. Actually, it was PwC's vision to reality. It's like this conference for a big deal techies. Yeah. I mean, it was like a thousand tech entrepreneurs, CEOs of large companies and you know, the investment community of Toronto coming out and just talking about the industry, right? And I was actually a speaker for this recruitment company. And I was slotted in between Robin Sharma, who's this like, you know, award winning author, a monk who sold his Ferrari and the fireside chat between the head of PwC Canada and the CEO of Fresh, which is like this like retail franchise chain of very healthy food. Think of it like a subway, but for health nuts, right? Anyway, so I come up on the stage. And I'm introduced by this high-powered CEO of some software company. And I absolutely bomb it. So much so where like, oh, if you uh, picture this being the mic, I literally ended up pointing to the screen talking about the hiring trends of, you know, the Canadian market and how things are good here and bad. But I went to go point and it hits the mic. And the sound goes off throughout the whole auditorium and I'm just like sweating bullets at this point. Now, keep in mind that I was in this, you know, everything looked great. In fact, I have a picture of that specific moment where I'm wear- wearing my suit. I'm up there. PwC's logo was up. It all looks great. But I-, I will say that when I got off the stage and I asked my comms and marketing manager, you know, how, how I did, she's like, you know, I give you a solid 3 out of 10. So, it was this moment where I'm like, wow, this isn't who I am. I'm living this inauthentic life, right? And when I left corporate, it was this opportunity for me to re- redefine myself in this capacity, right? And, and because of the connections that I had built, the real connections, the authentic self that I chose to so- show up as with those individuals, they gave me a page out of their playbook, and so from there, I've launched a personal branding and talent management agency. We started the company under the context of helping creators, family friendly content creators on social build up their presence for the sake of them landing sponsorship and advertising dollars. What was really interesting was large brands started to come to us and say, we think you can help us in the context of selling better on social. And, you know, I've spent 12 plus years on LinkedIn as a platform, right? I get the platform. I've sold multi-million dollar deals based on, you know, a connection that I formed on LinkedIn first. And we came up with one organization in particular, $29 billion manufacturing firm came up and said, it's the height of the pandemic. Our trade shows, which is our main channel to sell product is at an all time low. And we think you can help us. We think LinkedIn's the answer. What are your thoughts? And so we launched another division focused on personal branding.
1: What's the company called?
0: It's called Will Be Live. Will Be Live. Yeah. Will,
1: okay.
0: Yeah. Will Be Live, which is a completely different story. As to why I, I named it that.
1: I was like, that was what I wanted to say. Where does the name come from?
0: Yeah. So uh, just a you know quick side note. The name came from a poem. I I'm, I'm big into poetry, spoken word, or Shell Silverstein. You know the the I grew up with poetry. In fact, my dad and mom named me after a poet. And the poem that I'm referring to is Gil Scott Heron's The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. And towards the end of that poem, he says, the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will be live, right? So, those last three words really stuck with me because fundamentally, we we are seeing a change in how media is being consumed today, right? Where... Commercials are not adding up for the audience members on social. It's actually interrupting them. And community is now a focus. And there's a difference between an audience member and a community member. And so how do you continue the conversation and build a tribe of loyal followings is really in part what we do with executives of Fortune 5000 companies. To bring the authentic voice of those executives to the forefront of those brands because people buy from people, not businesses, right? So, those are the two sides of of our world that we're really vested in building on. Yeah, one thing I want to mention is like this, like how I got here and this tie to corporate in the context of like living my inauthentic life. We're there to help coach them throughout the process. And help bring their ideas to light. But fundamentally, we go through this four to six week exercise to establish specifically what their voice is, how they would and should be showing up, and who's competing for that same attention. But after that session's done, we hand this personal brand guideline back to them and make a decision, both the marketing teams and the executive and our business, make a decision as to whether or not we should continue to work together in building content for that executive.
1: Many would say it's just, uh, that's the role of corporate PR to do this job. Or why is it that marketing and corporate PR have f- failed to craft these brand, personal brands for their
0: leadership? Yeah. I think, I mean, the the role of a PR professional is, is so diverse, particularly in the context of like marketing and communications. They can be doing so many things at once that in many ways, they are repurposing macro pieces of content for social, right? In micro clips or written word, but don't necessarily understand the... Way in which they should be showing up native to that platform, right? And LinkedIn is a really interesting platform where, in many ways, they need to be very cognizant with how they're showing up because there is an expectation from the audience to show up in a particular way, whether it be through video or written word, right? Even to the like minutia of like spacing your posts and how you space your posts get better readership. And engagement, so, so that in a way you you could would suggest that
1: that's why you need some form of domain expertise totally. in and around yeah. platforms like LinkedIn.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, there is teams built on the work that large brands do in the context of social, but if they don't know how to speak native to that platform, then they could just make a ton of noise and not necessarily be as effective as. They could.
1: Still talking about CEOs and everyone. We're at a point in time stamping this where there's a lot of debate at the moment and discussion around the fact that there might be a ban on TikTok. And everyone's talking about the importance of TikTok to this generation. Why is it that you're focused on LinkedIn and not platform? And why are you not guiding these C-suite leaders to focus on the platform that everyone apparently is, is talking about?
0: Yeah. I think, listen, TikTok is, is definitely grown at a very rapid rate and they're doing uh, a lot of things well, right? Particularly for brands in the B2C capacity. I know there are a ton of B2B brands that are seriously considering going down the world of, of TikTok to engage Gen Z. For the features that are also coming, I mean, as we speak, LinkedIn is rolling this beta feature where Large brands are going to be able to boost thought leader posts, where in previous instances, they've only been able to boost and put ad dollars behind the company's, you know, posts, whatever that might be. And, you know, just place to the ethos that we believe in, which is, you know, individuals sell products, people buy from people first, not the actual business. And uh, by creating organic content and a strategy around the communications that a large brand would be able to execute on, it plays very nicely in the potential of them actually boosting brand ambassadors and executives that represent that organization well. So can you explain,
1: you said there's the two elements to the the business. Can you explain the personal branding bit, why that's different from what you're doing with helping C-suite build their brand on LinkedIn?
0: Yeah. So the C-suite building a brand is the personal brand division that we represent, right? The other side of it is talent management. So think of this as a flywheel. So the executive comes to us and wants to build a brand for better business success based on the company they're working for. That usually translates into new leads for their sales teams or their sales teams leveraging the thought leadership that that executive is bringing to the industry to then build credibility in the marketplace for their customer, hire top talent. Again, you know, I want to work for a leader that is actually, that, that has the same beliefs and is really a, a, a thought leader in the context of this particular industry. I think that's why now more than ever we're seeing this whole conscious quitting phenomenon happening. It's the fundamental foundation in which the company is built off of is not speaking to an individual's purpose and why, right? Well, an individual highlighting their why can attract a greater audience and bring on the right people that believes in that same ethos. And then third of all, it would be employee sentiment, right? So, as individuals start seeing the posts, that this executive or brand ambassador is creating, it creates more of a connection between employees.
1: Okay, I get it. So, what's the, so is the talent management just an adjunct to that to use the, to build their profile and then help place people in those organizations or are they different client sets?
0: Yeah, no, I'm glad you're bringing this up because talent management is, the term is used fairly loosely across. Yeah organizations right when you say things like recruitment consultancy and things like that you just bundle it all together sure yeah and and actually they're very different in my mind talent management is essentially a outsource coo for the individual right so think of jerry mcguire right and show me the money he was a talent manager for that football player finding sponsorship and advertising opportunities so that that, that football player can make money outside of his day job, right? And so, what we're doing as a group, as a company, is taking those executives and building their profiles online and then really engaging with them as our client in the context of talent management. So, we're the COO seeking those sponsorship opportunities with those executives, it doesn't just have to be executives, presumably it could be anyone that's building a
1: profile on a social platform that might be an emerging young talent or older talent.
0: Yeah, it, it's really, so So there is a definition that we've put to this and a term that we use often, which is creator. You know, a lot of people think of this as influencer, um, really highlighting the influencer, but that's not what this is. There's a completely different pedigree that we see in the talent that we engage in the context of talent management, when I say family friendly content creators, you know, they're individuals that are contributing to the net positive growth of society. Um, And usually, what that embodies is really thinking about the younger population and the message that they're consuming, if in fact, that audience was a part of the conversation. So, you know, is this individual swearing are they promoting something that could be detrimental to a younger population's thinking uh, and decision-making, right? And it's all relative. But, you know, when we think about the partnerships that we do with large brands, we don't want to represent a individual that is promoting drugs or alcohol, right? Or even consuming it on camera. We want to contribute to a net positive creator that is really focused on the impacts of their work. In the context of social change. Mm.
1: So, <laughs> nowhere, you would go nowhere near an Andrew Tate.
0: Absolutely not. Yeah. No, no. He's not yeah. the, our, our ideal client yeah. a, at all. No. He's locked up in some jail at the moment, anyway, in, in Romania yeah. for the time being.
1: So, how would you take someone, just as an example, if you took someone, someone that has emerged over sort of the last few years that wasn't known maybe in 2018, but is very prolific now? scott galloway yeah from prof g show if you were working with him now he would probably be already established how would you go about finding other potential prof g's and how would you guide them what would be your approach to identifying the direction they should be pointed in yeah. And the brands you connect them with and the, and the advice you give them.
0: The how for us has been largely from referrals. You know, Twitter is a great platform to, to connect with individuals with a voice. LinkedIn as well. You know, it's, it's a great way to engage on in conversation, but predominantly the way we found our talents in that context has been through, through referrals and how we would get started with them is would be really to understand where they are. And it's not about the, number of individuals that they have as followers, right? It's about the connection that they're creating in the context of community with the individuals that they're having this kind of one-on-one conversation with. How strong are those ties? You know, so we'd like to get fairly deep in understanding how those individuals See that connection? Because as I mentioned, I mean there it's a totally different conversation when you're thinking about so audience be, members. So it could be a micro community. Yeah, it could be, absolutely. Yeah. It's about it's about the potential. Now, having said that, you know, we absolutely focus on how to amplify their voice and get more audience members to feed the funnel of that community, but we're really trying to build on the presence of those people for the sake of those 1000 fans, 1000 true yeah. fans.
1: Kevin Kelly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it could be if people re- want to reach out to you, you could be f- people that were operating in a very specific vertical. So let's say a person who might be wanting to promote their voice, build their community and their connections within psychotherapy, mental health. Yeah. It could be in some NGO working on displaced peoples and and migrants issues yeah it could be it doesn't have to just be business
0: yeah I, I would say you know if I were to think about kind of where we've come into the conversation right and and the pillars of of uh industries that we really have solidified in the context of our services business finance is absolutely one that we've we've doubled down in right and the majority of The individuals that we're working with are coming into that that conversation by proxy of us really just like understanding LinkedIn as a platform, right? And then wanting to build their presence on that platform as well. Having said that, you know, there is the lifestyle industry that that I'm very interested in and food and beverage. Now, food and beverage less so. We haven't necessarily delved too deep into that, but it really does depend on the perspective value that the... Individual is offering up their audience, and how that value is then converted into a potential community. So what they
1: perceive as value might not be what you perceive as value. Might you might guide them or
0: direct them? Yeah, yeah, we absolutely. And I think I mean we, I mean it's case by case basis, but there have been a number of instances where we've had to realign around the end goal that that individual is after. Right. And really understand what that goal is fundamentally. It's all about focus and the attention we put. You know, it, it, is it a question of community? Is it a question of audience? Right. What is their goal? Because it it changes the overall steps that we take in the context of building an individual's presence online. Like you can have 10,000 followers and 8,000 community members and be killing it. You can have a hundred thousand audience members and not even a thousand community members and be killing it, right? It really does depend on what the goals of that individual is. I would argue community is a lot more stronger than audience. But if you're a brand looking to get the majority of a particular demographic involved and eyeballs to see a particular moment in a business's journey then audience might be the option mm-hmm. and not community
1: mm-hmm. so people wanted to reach out to you and talk to you more about their challenges and their opportunities where do they find you
0: yeah we were we're on linkedin of course of course yeah i'm on twitter as well you know our web we have a, a contact us page and and a link to uh booking a call um through oh, calendly I'll put that in the show notes yeah absolutely before we wrap
1: up i want you to talk about something that's very personal to you and we something you mentioned to me when we first met is you've gone through a dramatic transformation in terms of your life from the pandemic like a lot of people did yeah. and you are on your own entrepreneurial journey now and you know you've got a long way to go you must deal with uncertainty and and doubt and have moments of fragility how, how do you deal with them how
0: do you yeah. find strengths? Yeah, this is this is something that I struggle with in corporate. And, and I didn't actually know the answer until I went through this moment of extreme pain. And in many ways, it, it was something that I was already doing, but not to the extent that I should have been or I w- would have wanted to. And that was rock climbing for me, where I was for close to 10 years, going to the gym, rock climbing gyms and climbing with my brother and his friends. But then there was this opportunity presented to me to actually meet one of, I didn't know at the time, but one of the most prolific guides in Canada to go up a mountain. And that was a seminal moment in my growth and understanding as to what it means to have an anchor and how no one can rock that anchor for me because it's rooted in nature. And and so how I've been able to overcome those challenges, whether it be in a personal or business capacity, is to revisit nature. Whether it be going for a walk, or the ultimate for me is climbing a mountain. Any good recommendations for people on uh, good climbing movies? Oh man, there's so many. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, Alex Honnold and his movie Free Solo for sure. There's some, there's some really interesting ones that have come out. Tommy Cladwell just came out with a number of movies, actually. I, I think it was, you know what? I actually don't know the name of it. Tommy, what was Tommy it? Tommy Cladwell.
1: Cladwell, okay. I'll put it
0: in the shop. Yeah, I, can... I mean, he's, he's done a couple of movies as well. Anything by Jimmy Chin, I'm, I'm course, down yeah. with. He's an OG, and I love his style. But there's so much. Don Wall, I believe it was. There's another one there. Of course, you know, there's one that actually is great, which is um, 180 South, which is uh, the story of Yvon Chouinard and his adventures to Patagonia. Yeah. Yvon Chouinard, obviously, being a former CEO of Patagonia. Very interesting story. And if, if you get a chance, I would absolutely recommend his book, Let My People Go Surfing. Very, very good book. Yeah, Not, has nothing to do with climbing per se, but uh, he does talk about his journey and how climbing is related to that, but his journey in building Patagonia.
1: Um, thing, I just have to thank you for giving me some guidance to try and get me on uh, into sort of crawling mode in LinkedIn. If people want to learn a bit more about just basic tips and tools and things you should be doing about LinkedIn, are there any resources on your website?
0: We have a resources tab and we always publish up to date PDFs that they can take with them. and and learn how to get started what the journey might look like for them you know we talk about the crawl phase and what's the walk phase look like what's the run phase the leap phase look like so those are all resources available online for brands as well if they want to learn more about the opportunity that linkedin has to offer we also do come up with um, content for them just to reference why it is that they should get involved
1: okay well, i'll put in the show notes but thank you nima thank you good luck with the business we'll check in sometime in the future and see how it's going and uh hope you enjoy your time in austin for south by
0: thank you i appreciate your time thank you awesome cool
1: okay that's all for now folks now here's my ask of you please follow this podcast on apple or spotify or whatever player you use also please subscribe to our new random collisions newsletter we really are working to build a global community of action takers action engines of people that really care about the problems that need solving Thank you very much and see you next time.